In this episode of the Toxic Mold Podcast, Steve interviews Dr. Terry Fox, a holistic, integrative, functional medicine doctor and the founder of Boulder Holistic Medicine. Having completed her medical training at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School, Dr. Fox is board certified by the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine and has spent the last 20 years practicing functional medicine. Dr. Fox has experience in fatigue, bioidentical hormones, sleep disorders, gastrointestinal dysfunction, and chronic inflammatory response syndrome from mold toxicity and Lyme disease. She brings a unique blend of Western medicine, herbal medicine, nutrition and exercise counseling supplements, and stress reduction techniques to provide her patients with a true holistic approach to healing. During this episode, Dr. Fox talks about her mold story and how her first major experience with mold came when her eight-year-old son went from being a thrill-seeking, rambunctious child to a little boy who didn't get out of bed for six months. This led her down a path of gaining a deeper understanding of the impact of mold toxicity on the body. In today's episode, Dr. Fox provides a wealth of information, including how mold toxicity is evaluated from a functional medicine perspective, strategies for detoxing mold, factors that can impact recovering from mold, mold treatment considerations for women in particular, as well as how Dr. Fox can work with clients who are out of her home state of Colorado. This episode is jam-packed with information you're going to want to know. If you've ever gone to a traditional Western medicine doctor with mold concerns, or you're thinking about seeking out a doctor who can help you with mold illness considerations, this episode is one you are not going to want to miss. Before we get started on this episode, here's a not-so-short disclaimer. While all attempts have been made to verify the content provided in this podcast, neither the podcaster or the producers assume any responsibility for errors, omissions, or alternative interpretations of the issues discussed here. All information stated in this podcast is the opinion of Steve Worsley. Steve Worsley is a mold specialist with over 25 years of experience in the construction and mold industry. The Toxic Mold Podcast is for information sharing purposes only. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and his alone. These views should not be taken as expert instruction or commands. While there may be references to medical conditions and symptoms, all podcast episodes are the opinion of Steve Worsley, and any medical questions or concerns shall be addressed with the appropriate licensed medical professional or professionals. As the podcaster refers to different mold types, please be aware that Steve Worsley is not a microbiologist and questions concerning mold specifics should be answered by the appropriate professional. Steve isn't nor does he offer any legal advice. For any legal advice, you must speak with a lawyer. The listener is 100% responsible for his or her own actions. You can check out Steve's books on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search for author Steve Worsley. You can also take Steve's courses on Udemy or Skillshare, and you can find out more about those at cnccontractorservices.com. Now, let's get to the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Toxic Mold Podcast. We have actually two guests today. We have my wife, Cassandra, and we have Dr. Terry Fox, who is a functional medicine doctor. And Cassandra will actually start and give her 
uh, or go through her bio. And we thank you, Dr. Fox, for being here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Dr. Fox. I'm excited to talk to you today because there is there is so much talk about functional medicine and the importance of holistic medicine, especially when people are dealing with things like mold. And I also noticed that not only is your background from medical school to botanical medicine to taking a more holistic approach, but you've had a lot of experiences with a, a broad range of diseases that are connected directly to inflammation. So I, I'm interested to hear from you, like in your expertise in, in both doing functional medicine, but also in diseases that tend to be chronic and inflammatory in nature, how has mold impacted the way that you look at practicing medicine, but also personally, how has mold affected your life story? Started for me, the mold journey and the mold awareness when um, my son was I think it was about eight years old, almost nine. And he was one of these real, like thrill seeking, crazy maniac little boys trying to jump off bridges and stuff like that and kind of underweight. And he started limping and he started getting like stiff and limping. And then I started testing him for things. And it turned out that he had Lyme disease. And then my Lyme doctor, who uh, I flew him out to California to see Dr. Steve Harris, um, he had him do a mold test before we really started a lot of Lyme treatment. And the mold test was through the roof. And so um, I had had suspicion in our house because I kept thinking I was smelling musty stuff. And I'd had a, several people in there and said that it was fine. And then this is, you know, kind of a common story, which is why I'll, I'll go into the details of it. But there was some mold in the attic above his room, some water damage. And uh, we went out of town. And while we did that, we had um, like a construction company come in and fix the water issue above his room and pull out, you know, whatever, and just get it out of the house. But I didn't know about containment or remediation or any of that. So we came back to town and he'd sort of been progressively getting worse and limping more and gaining weight in this weird way. And we came back into town after they had done that and he didn't get out of bed for six months. Wow. He, he was in like nine out of 10 pain um, with a sort of like a migraine, but he never had anything like that before. And he was just down. So once we figured out he had mold, then I got a good remediation company out who did the whole evaluation of our house. And there was three feet of water under the entire crawl space and it was under the vapor barrier so we kept opening this one little thing and looking and it looked fine um and so we didn't really realize and uh because it, it was after so boulder had you know the boulder flood that year in september and we had thought we had been okay in the flood but it turns out there'd been three feet of water under the whole house for the whole time wow and yeah this, this happened in 2012 didn't they or 2013 yeah 2013 13, I want to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the fall. And it was, and we didn't realize until the next summer. Um, and, you, and I'll point this out too, because it's rare was our airborne spore traps were in the red and all the way in the red, even for stacking. It, it, it was crazy. It was bad. Um, but Do you the, remember the spore counts or the raw counts? What numbers? Uh, I just remember the color red. Oh, okay. I was just curious <laughs> 
Because a lot of times when we see just, you know, a really low number, like a raw count of one to five, we typically look at that and say, you know, was that a misreading by the lab technician, microbiologist, or is that really what it is? Once we get over that, like it's any stacky over five for a raw count, which is very low for the other mold types, we, right. we start throwing red flags and we're like, hey, we, we got some issues here. So right. As a mother and a physician, when you learn that about the water being there for that long and the findings, what do you do at that point once you learn that? Yeah, well, then I had to start learning about mold. Um, so I had been doing sort of uh, functional medicine and doing a lot of fatigue and gut dysfunction and sleep and hormones, bioidentical hormones. And um, that worked for about 80% of my patients at that time. And about 20% didn't get better. And then I, over a few years, figured out all of those had Lyme disease. And so <clears throat> I ended up my practice, the Lyme got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you realize that if there's mold, if the person is exposed to mold or has any mold colonization, mold is such a complete attack on the immune system that Lyme becomes opportunistic and activates and replicates in the presence of mold. And so then mold sort of took over all the Lyme patients because, you know, then I started testing them and two thirds of them all had mold. And then when you treat the mold, the Lyme goes back into dormancy and, and all the Lyme symptoms go away, which is amazing and, and incredible. And so, um, so yeah, I started learning back then and, um, you know, going to conferences back then, it was just the American Academy of Environmental uh, Medicine. And now there's a bunch of different organizations that we're all in. Um, and now I would say I do primarily mold. It's, my practice is probably 80% mold patients. Okay. So you, you mentioned something that pretty much every one of my clients brings up and it's limed. And they say they were misdiagnosed. And of course, when they ask me questions, I'm like, hey, that's that's right. the medical side of things. So the, you you do have ways to differentiate between Lyme's disease and mold. 100%. They, they have a interconnectedness because that mold allows Lyme to go crazy. So if you have mold and you try to just treat the Lyme and you don't treat the mold, you'll never clear the Lyme. Okay. So there's this way that they relate to each other, but they're not the same thing at all. And um, yeah, the test for Lyme is the one I use mostly is a blood draw through Igenix. And then um, the mold test is a urinary mycotoxin test. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of overlap in symptoms, um, but there's certain symptoms that I find are more classically Lyme and you don't really see with mold without Lyme in the background or underneath. Right. Um, and so those you can kind of tease it out in clinic, whether or not you think maybe Lyme is there, too. But I actually don't even worry too much about it until we finish mold detox, because a lot of times you don't have to treat the mold. It goes it goes into dormancy and clears. Oh, wow. That's interesting because, yeah, you know, it, it kind of takes us into the next topic that we always talk about. And it's can you heal from from mold toxicity while you're living in a home? And of course. From my perspective, and I know you agree, but it's interesting to hear your side of it because I always tell them, no, you must leave before you even start treatment. But you, when we had spoke prior, it said that actually we can start the process. Can you just kind of explain to our listeners that we want them to understand you can't keep living there. That's 
that's not going to work, in my opinion, if you want to heal. But on the other hand, you don't have to. I understand people can't just up and leave. You can start the process, correct? Yes, yes. I 100% think that you can. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, people have to get out of the exposure if they're mold sensitive and if the house is bad and you can't remediate. And they won't get all the way better, you know, at all when they're still in the moldy environment. But the way that, um, that I sort of explain it is the longer your exposure, the higher your load of mycotoxins and neurotoxins from the mold. And you get, you know, and there's, there's other neurotoxins from the environment and glyphosate and plastics and pesticides. And then if you throw lime in there, there's biotoxin. And, and when it all like begins to overflow is when the patient gets symptomatic and, you know, may even crash entirely. And so from my perspective, you can begin taking that load back down before you're out of the house. Now you may, you may feel better on the right binders and the beginning of a mold protocol in the house. You may not because you're still being currently exposed, but if you don't start at that point, once you finally get out, there's just more of those to bind and get rid of. It just keeps accumulating. And so it'll just be longer. And, yeah. and, and often two weeks on the right binders, uh, you'll, fit, you'll get some improvement. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even if they're in there, I mean, they're not, like I said, like we both know, they're not going to get completely better unless they get out. But, but yeah, you can absolutely begin treatment. Okay. I do recommend they begin. Okay. Do Dr. Fox, yeah. what would you suggest? I mean, I, I hear you talking about protocols because this is what you do right. and you come at it from a functional medicine, <clears throat> but there are so many people out there who go to a traditional GP, traditionally trained, not functional or holistic in nature. And their doctors tell them, mold, it's not a thing. Or no, we don't really. What would you recommend for someone listening or watching this who says, I went to my normal doctor and they poo-pooed my symptoms and my things away? What, what's your recommendation for managing that? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. There's, um, there's not a lot of awareness in the regular Western medical community at all about mold. Um, I'm hoping that will change over time with all of us in this world trying to, you know, get the word out. Um, and I tell them to find somebody who knows what they're doing with mold. And I don't actually even tell them a functional medicine doc unless they do mold or biotoxin illness. Um, so I have them go to, I'm a <clears throat> founding member of an organization called the International Society of Environmentally Acquired Illness. It's ICI. And there's a big long list of providers all over the country. And they're all people that do what I do. And we, you know, we all share information and research and we have conferences and, and all that stuff. And so ideally they can find somebody through ICI at, at who knows actually how to really treat mold. And if not, then yes, go to your, find a local functional medicine doc and see if they know anything about this. And, you know, sometimes they will. So let's... Uh... We, we kind of skipped over probably one of the most important parts that intrigues me because, you know, as I refer to myself, I'm the blue collar side of it. I don't have all the education like you do. And the testing part of it is made from my point of view as mold inspectors. We sometimes make a really big deal out of testing, which I don't believe from my perspective on what we do. I don't believe that's really relevant on our side of things when we're doing air tests 
And we, you know, there's all sorts of testing we can do. The ERMI, we can do tapelets, uh, all that stuff. But on the, and, and the reason to me it's not a big deal is because when we have mold infestations, we don't care what kind of mold is there. In my opinion, it doesn't have to be toxic mold, the black mold. Wet building materials can have tons of VOCs and off-gassing that can make you sick. But when it goes to the medical side of things, that's where people, I hear a lot in groups that I'm in and from my clients. Well, I used Great Plains, and I apologize, I'm not sure if that's a urine test or a blood test. And then other people will say, well, I use my Michael lab. Can you explain to our listeners how you test and why you test the way you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I do a urinary mycotoxin test. So mycotoxins are the toxin that mold excretes that is pathogenic to humans or disease causing to humans. And so I do, it's a urinary mycotoxin test. There are markers in the blood that can sort of paint a picture of inflammation that would make mold suspicious. So if you're not sure initially what you're dealing with and you know, you don't know if it's mold, you might, I might throw the biomarkers in the blood draw, the things you might have heard of like C4A or MMP9 or one, you know, some of those. Um, but I don't consider those as conclusive or definitive. So I do um, a urine mycotoxin test to see if there's actually mycotoxins in the system. Um, so my myco, my, I believe my myco is the one that is antibodies to mold. So it shows that you have IgG antibodies to mold. That to me doesn't tell me whether or not there's mold in the body. It means they've made an antibody to it at some point. You know, right. is it still present? Is it, you know, I don't know. And so I don't, at this point, I don't love that one or use it very much. Um, I like the real-time labs one the best. The reason is because it's very specific, meaning there's not a lot of false positives from food or different things. And the downside is it's not as specific. It's not as sensitive. So it'll miss some of it. Uh, you know, and so I provoke this test with a pretty um, dramatic provocation. <laughs> um, so I have them come in for an IV of glutathione with, with some phosphatidylcholine, both of which heal the central nervous system and they help you detox or pull out mycotoxins. And then we collect the urine after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, the, if we're doing a retest, then the patient, I'll actually have them be on an antifungal medication um, for the test as well. So it, in theory, if you had uh, mold colonized in the upper respiratory tract, so if you had colonized mold and you give somebody an antifungal medication that kills mold, it releases its contents, which are the mycotoxins and the nanoparticles and the stuff that make us sick. So I'll have them take their itraconazole or whatever antifungal that they're on or that they were on for the retest and do the IV. And then I feel like I'm getting a true real sense of what's in the system. That makes that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people will say, well, for the for the testing, and once again, I don't use the medical terms because I'm the blue collar guy, but they'll say, well, it's foods, you know, it could be, you know, something in foods. And you you were very quick to say, just like I say about allergies, there's a huge difference between an allergy to mold and mold toxicity. And from what I understood, what you said about food, it's similar to that, where you really, something in a food is not going to cause what mold exposure would. Is that correct? Yes. You mean in the testing or in the 
person. In the testing, yes. Because because they say <laughs> that with the testing, the problem that you have is if there's a positive, and when I when I'm dealing with these people, I'm not dealing with them on a medical side of it. It's just my side of it. And they'll say, well, you know, in a urine test, you're expelling those mycotoxins, but it could be from foods. And I guess my point is, is they try to say, well, it's not necessarily mold. It could be from food. And when I get into those conversations, that's why I kind of bring myself back into it and say, that's why you need an inspection. Like just doing the testing is not going to tell us much. But so, so to kind of come back to what I was saying is, is people want to poo-poo away mold in their home and blame it on the food they're eating because of the oh. <laughs> It's a lot that, more affordable if it was the food, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so <laughs> so there's, there's a couple different kinds of uh, urinary mycotoxin tests, and some of them have more cross-reactivity with food, um, depending on the assay that they're using. Um, I do not find that the real-time labs uh, has that. So occasionally you'll get, like, if I see just a little bump in aflatoxin, that's a mycotoxin that's pretty common in food and in nuts or your coffee beans or whatever. So if I see just a little bump in that, I don't even really worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the you know, it's the mold from water damaged building that's going to actually make you sick, you know, that are truly pathogenic and 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 crash a patient, you know, entirely. And my personal belief is the amount of mycotoxins that we get in our food is a drop in the bucket next to living in a moldy building or environment. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's like, I try to be clear with my clients, as I said, they, and it, it's, this isn't a gender issue, but it's typically the men and I'm obviously one, so I can speak for men, I guess, but it's usually the men that poo poo it away. And they, they, they tell the wife or their their significant other, like, it's fine. And it doesn't always have to be a man and a wife or a man and a woman. But they, they just say, no, no, it's the food you're eating because I'm not sick. And when I hear that, and it's probably one of the most common things I hear, it's oh, wow. the wife that's having problems and the children is <laughs> fine. And he wants to poo-poo it away and say, it's just the food. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's a common excuse to not look into the actual home itself, which oh, interesting. It, it's inter it's very interesting because it's that's just I think as humans we try to unless something's right in front of our faces we don't want to admit that that's the problem and it's like your situation you had mold in an attic that you didn't even know about you have three feet of water down in a crawl space and you still it wasn't right in front of you and so a lot of times food gets blamed on that. And so for our listeners, I want our listeners to understand food is kind of like an allergy to mold. It's a drop in the bucket compared to a moldy home, what I call the moldy home. Well, that leads yeah, to, I agree. to a different question. Who is a good candidate for the kind of testing that you're talking about? I mean, is it when somebody thinks they have a mold issue in their home? Should people be doing this on a you know yearly Who's a good candidate for saying, yes, I should get that checkup or that testing? Well, from my perspective, the way that I work, it, it's either, you know, one of two things. Either they come in for fatigue and pain and different things. And, you know, I start hearing the story and I start thinking, oh, they probably got mold or, you know, whatever I think in my head. And so I'll recommend the testing right away if that's my suspicion. 
But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think everybody should do an annual, an annual test. Those of us that now know we're mold sensitive, you know, those people, they'll, they'll get symptomatic again once they're detoxed, if they get back in mold and then we retest them and we clean them. I mean, we detox them, but it's only a quarter of the population that gets sick from mold. So the people that get sick from mold are the ones that don't detox it and they can't metabolize it and get it out in the urine, the stool and the sweat. And so it is really common for only one person in the house to come to get sick. And so so of course they'll say, well, it can't be the house because we're all fine. But that is the most common situation is, is one, maybe two people in the house. And so they don't think it's the house. And then I would always also say that when I, um, if they get, if I have a positive mold test on a patient, they always say it's not my house. I know I don't have any mold in my house. I'm a hundred percent sure. And I'll do the whole like any musty smells, any history of water leaks, any old flooding, like, you know, I'll do the whole thing. And, and then, you know, they'll swear up and down, it's not their house. And then I, I still tell them they have to get their house evaluated because right. if, if we don't, and I assume you're right, we're going to go down this, you know, protocol, pretty lengthy protocol, and you're not going to get better. And then I'm going to make you test your house. And mm -hmm. then six months of your life, you know, is wasted. So, you know, you have to really rule it out. Yeah. And how often... <clears throat> you run into your clients that, you know, let's say that they, they give Steve a call. I go out, we do an assessment. We don't find visible mold. We run air tests. We don't see anything that's a red flag. My next suggestion to my clients is, you know, are you going to school somewhere? Where do you spend most of your time? Is it at work? How often do you find out that the exposure is not even at home? Um, well, there's two pieces to that. One is it can be a previous exposure. Theoretically, you can colonize from a previous exposure. And so sometimes the person like, you know, in the intake, they will, you know, reveal that like they first got sick and let's say 2015. And I'll start asking, well, where were you living in 2015? And when did you move? And and so, or, or they might even know that they did live in a moldy space a few years ago, they got out, they never even thought about it afterwards. And then in our intake, they realize, oh, that's when I started getting sick. Okay. Um, and so you can have a previous exposure um, that happens a decent amount of the time. And then the other piece was, oh yeah, home or office. I would say, you know, in, maybe 15 percent okay it's a it's a it's at a different place like um I've definitely seen it in like a vacation home in the mountains or some kids at school or other people when it's in their office but it's more often like at home where you're sleeping and and now everybody's working from home so if they had a moldy issue that they were maybe just treading water with and then they work at home full-time then they get sick right you know, that it's okay. it's too much yeah Something we cover quite often um, in a lot of the social media stuff that we do, my podcast, one thing I'm big on, and Cassandra's the one that actually, this things I don't think of, and I've gotten really big on journals, and it's very important that people that think they're getting sick, they have to start with something, because, you know, what I tell them, and I'm sure it's the same for you, it's going to cost them a lot more money if they come to me, and I ask questions, and they just go, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're going to have to pay us to, to go through all the protocols. If you can come to me or come to the doctor with a, we moved in 2013 
that's when we started getting sick. Or let's say we went to our summer home and we were sick all summer, got back home and we started feeling a little bit better, but we're still not feeling the best. I always tell them, I'm like, write these things down because as frustrating as it is for me, I'm sure it's the same for you. It's it's very frustrating to hear, I don't know. It's like, well, then I don't know what to tell you either, you know? It, it's, <laughs> it's difficult. And like I said, if, if they can come to you, at least with something, you have something to go off of. Yeah, yeah. And I, I tend to pull the details out of them and <laughs> take and uh, try to figure out some, you know, hints and parts of the puzzle and the timeline and all that to see if it lines up. And then I try to track as much as I can for them because, you know, t- patients tend to not remember the absence of symptoms. So mm-hmm. like if I have their 10 things they came to me with and then I go, well, how about the migraines now? And they go, oh my gosh, I haven't had one in a month. <laughs> but they didn't even remember that they used they were having them every day. Right. Um, and so, and then I do, I, I definitely ask them to track. It's, it's important in the treatment piece as well, because right. you can, you can go too hard, too fast, detoxing mold and make somebody more sick. Um, right. And so if they're not tracking and being careful, like going slowly and making sure they're, you know, that I have them go up on binders, like real, real slow. Like you start with one, make sure you feel nothing or better and then you go up and sort of because so it's kind of like um once the body begins to detox mold and you begin like let's say they're on binders and glutathione and that sort of thing your cells get the signal that there's a way out and your cells don't want these toxins and so Mm -hmm. they'll start dumping and if they dump more toxins mycotoxins biotoxin then the body can get out in the urine the stool and the sweat then they get more symptomatic and they feel worse. And in mold, it doesn't really help at all to suffer through that pain. Like you're not getting there any faster. You're moving stuff around. So there's like, there's a boundary that we, that we, you know, pay attention to. Um, And so, yeah, tracking from this perspective also is really important. Right. So you bring up something that I, I wasn't even prepared to even ask this question. So forgive me if I use the wrong verbiage, but I see a lot of people that that think that saunas or there's these like little portable tents and people ask me about it and I'm like, that's for your doctor. Do you have any recommendations for that or is that helpful for infrared sauna and infrared sauna? Very helpful. It is. Uh, okay. Yeah. You sweat out the mycotoxins. It's not going to do it by itself, okay. um, but it, it, it helps a lot. Okay. And, yeah. and so for, for our listeners, Obviously, you still need to have the medical side of it. Um, and speaking of that, so when I did, I was looking through your website for your guys' clinic, you guys do sell a lot of the supplements and the, from my point of view, I, I tell I tell my clients binders, like, I'm very clear, I don't get out of my wheelhouse. I'm like, that's the medical side. But you do sell those on your website? Yeah, yeah, we have a whole pharmacy here. And, do you and, do- and you can do them on the website too. So do they have to have a prescription if they were to, let's just say, I a binders? what's that? A prescription to get binders? Yes. No. Okay. No, but they should be guided. I mean, right. so for me, so when we get the urinary mycotoxin result back, it has the different uh, class of, you know, the tricolithocenes and the ocrotoxin A and the gliotoxin, the different classes of mycotoxins and different mycotoxins have a different affinity for different binders. 
So okay. that's why when somebody goes and they just go take cholestyramine or something uh, and they don't know what they've got, they don't get better because cholestyramine won't bind trichothecenes, for yep. example, from black mold. And that might be what's making them so sick. And so it's more uh, targeted. And the binders also have to be done two hours away on both sides from other meds and supplements, or it'll bind them and pull them out. They're constipating. The entire detox won't work if you get backed up. So you have to, you know, work with them to increase magnesium citrate or whatever works for them for the daily movement. And so, I mean, it, it should sort of be guided, but no, you can, well, I guess cholestyramine, you need a prescription for but like activated charcoal, bentonite clay, you know, most of the other ones you don't need a prescription for. You can get them over the counter. Yeah. And you can get them on our, on our, they're not, it's not exactly our website. Like we don't have a pharmacy on there, but we have two online dispensaries mm -hmm. um, that, you know, are through different organizations. Right. So just for our listeners, just like I say, from our side of things, whether you're doing mold inspections or mold mitigation, you don't want to try it on your own. It's the same with yours. And I, the, the reason I was asking is, is if, if, and it made sense how you explained it. There's so many people out there that say, well, I Googled this because, you know, Google's a really great doctor. Like I, I've had like five degrees from Google. So and now, now we have AI too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I actually got that uh, not too long ago, and it's quite interesting just to ask questions. They read somewhere and just think that they can take some supplement that's going to fix everything. So you explaining everything's telling our listeners what I always tell them: you have to get the professionals involved. Like, there's part of those protocols that you do have to have a prescription for. Um, what are those? The yeah. antifungals. Well, if they have a lot of opratoxin A, I'll do cholestyramine as the binder. It's the best binder for that class. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you get to, I do it in the phase one detox and then phase two detox. When you get to phase two, we do antifungals. Okay. Um, and so those are prescription. For the process, because one of the other excuses I hear quite often is, well, it just takes forever to detox from mold. And sometimes you can't. I don't believe that, but for, you know, our listeners that, you know, know they're sick, but they, they're just not mm -hmm. sure what to do. They think that it's going to take forever to get detox. How long is the average detox? Depending. I'm sure there's a lot of variables. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of variables, but um, what I would like to say is that it's, you know, what I tell my patients too, is it's, it's a really treatable diagnosis. Like people get better. Um, the timeline varies depending on the house and the exposure and when it was and where it was. But post-exposure, if you're no longer being exposed, two weeks on the right binders, you'll see a decent turnaround and the vast majority of patients um, with glutathione and some other things. And then once you get into phase two and you start antifungals, you get another massive turnaround. And so if they're so if they're being exposed and they have to get their house remediated or move out, like that's an entirely different timeline with a lot of variables. But let's just say they're no longer being exposed. It depends on like how high their levels are, how sick they are, how long it's been there. Um, I would say it's probably six months to a year, okay. um, sometimes more, depending on what else is in the case and, you know, part of the issue, but yeah, it, it varies. And I always tell people like, 
once we start phase one and I see how you do, then I'll, I can give you a better sense. And once we start phase two, I can give you a better sense. So for example, in phase one is when I start binders and glutathione, if somebody tells me they can't do two, you know, caps of, of activated charcoal, they can only do one or they get symptomatic, it's going to be a really long road. Okay. Um, but if they go from one to six, no problem. They take full doses of glutathione, feel better. Like they're going to move pretty quickly and, and get better quicker. But it's, I mean, outside of it being in your home and how expensive and what a nightmare like that can be where, you know, where you come in and save the day outside of that part, it's, it's not a bad answer for people who are sick. I mean, it is really treatable, not that long of a turnaround. You don't get worse before you get better, like you do with Lyme or some other chronic illnesses. Okay. Um, if, it, if it's done right, it's really pretty painless. It's, it's complicated. And there's a lot of stuff you have to take and two hours away from meds and supplements or something, a nasal spray up the nose or something on an empty stomach. So it's complex. But it's like a quick turnaround, and people do really, really well. It's, it's. I guess what what I want our listeners to know and understand is it's very treatable. It's I, a 100%. lot of times they think it's the end of the world, and they Google, and yeah, then they yeah. think they're going to get kidney cancer. Yeah, you know, and, or they see, you know, I'm not sure if you saw the special on like 48 Hours Investigates. It was a a younger family out of Texas. They were living in a home. It was the husband and wife. I think the, the husband and wife were in their 40s and they had a teenage boy. Wife wasn't experiencing anything. It was brand new construction. The husband had was having memory problems. The son had same symptoms that you, you were talking about with your son. Come to find out, it was brand new construction and they had off the charts. Like Once again, this is where testing to me is irrelevant. When we see a bunch of mold, we need to just address right. it. We don't care about the test, but the big part of that story that, that had come out was the husband ended up having, they said, permanent uh, memory loss. Do you see permanent things like a memory loss or anything that's permanent? Let's say um, if it's just mold, because my patients tend to have a myriad of things. So if it's really primarily just mold, no, I think when done right there, I don't ever say permanent. Stuff. Okay. So there would be other players, like maybe, I don't know. Other neurotoxins, heavy metals, environmental toxins, other things that, you know, all together, you know, you might not get a hundred percent back, but you mostly it's the right. ones that have the line that's active that, you know, get more complex and, you know, might get 90% better and still have 10% of something that doesn't get all the way better. But I don't find that in mold. Okay. I, I, the people that got partially better and not all the way better, they didn't do it right. Okay. They never did the antifungal piece or the biofilm piece or the, you know, the final parts yeah. that actually rid the system. In, in that special, it's been years ago that I watched it. Of course, they never covered the medical side of it. But from what you're saying, um, I understand that if you were treating those patients, you would say, hey, there's something else. This isn't directly from mold. Well, I would get them completely detoxed from mold, get a negative test. And then, and then I would, you know, have to say that, yeah, there, you don't have any mold left. So let's look at what else is going on in the system. And usually okay. we know where we're going by there because I've been working with them for a little while. Okay. So that brings up another, I'm, I'm throwing you all sorts of questions, but say that uh, you, you're treating a patient, uh, they, 
don't seem to be responding well. They don't think they have a mold problem in their home. We go out there, any professional, there's plenty of us. We go out to the property, we run air testing, we do a very thorough inspection. When I say thorough, we're using infrared cameras, moisture meters, bore scopes. We're we're really, which is what a mold inspection is. So for our listeners, that's why you hire a mold inspector that knows what they're doing. But anyhow, we go out there, we don't see any water damage. We don't see anything. Um, from my perspective, I always tell my clients, you know, we have to go to other things like VOCs or heavy metals or things like that. Do you have a way from the medical side to know if it is still a mold concern that maybe it might not be at their home? It could be at their workplace. Does that? That's a complex question. But when you're treating them and they're yeah. still responding, do you know it's still mold once you've treated all of that? So there's a couple like markers and things that, that you can look at to, to see. So in, for example, I think you're saying like, if they're not getting better, mm -hmm. um, you know, then do you start looking at other things? So um, if they've had their home evaluated, you know, by a good person and it really looks clear and then they could do a little ermy on their, in their cubicle at the office or you know, the school or something just to see if it looks particularly awful to see if that might be where, but yeah. And then there's also in the blood, there's a C4A, which is a biomarker for mold exposure. And like I said before, it's not a perfect marker, but if it was high in the beginning and it's coming down as you're going through detox, then you feel pretty good that you're on the right track. Did I answer the question? Yes. Yeah. Cause a, a lot of times, like with my clients from, from what I experience is, is they, they go through with what the doctor's recommendations are, which we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. It could have been wrong how they were being treated. They look at the, the, the structure itself. We go in there and I say, hey, from what I'm seeing, everything looks good. We're not seeing anything off the charts. And, and to expand a little bit, like we can do wall cavity testing. There's the ERMI testing. There's there's testing that I prefer, doesn't make it right or wrong. Right. But at the end of the day, like the inspection is more important than anything to me. Yeah, I think so too. The property conditions are what really matter. <clears throat> yeah. But then they say, well, so then what is it? And they and I, I I just have to respond and say, I don't know. And from the medical side, that's all I was trying to get at is, is we, from what you told me, you can rule out mold. You can say, hey, it's yeah. not your mold. Exactly. I can't say whether or not it's in their house. I can say whether or not it's in their body. Yes. So they're either breathing it out in their house and then peeing it out and we're seeing it in the urine or they've colonized from a previous exposure. So I'm coming at it from like the opposite timeline where I already have a mold test. I know it's positive. And, right. then, and then I get someone like you ideally to go out to their house. Mm -hmm. And then if they get a clean bill there, then we assume it's previous exposure. Okay. So, yeah. so Dr. Fox, I I, I'd love to talk about mold and women's health because I'm seeing a lot of things in the research that are emerging around mold and fertility. Um, and, and in a world where we have so many endocrine disruptors, perimenopause, menopause, pregnancy, what is your take on mold and women's health specifically? Does mold, especially for women who are trying to get pregnant, pregnant, perimenopause, menopause, does mold look different in, in women? Oh, does it look different in women? Oh, I'm not sure if it does. I mean, it's an endocrine disruptor, so it will, you know, mess up your hormones. And, and 
all my mold patients have uh, hormonal issues, whether they're men or women, but you know, the, almost all of them have no thyroid, you know, very little thyroid function. The women tend to have low progesterone. But when your progesterone is low, you'll get more anxiety, insomnia, irritability, anger in patients. Your periods will get irregular, more heavy, more painful. And that um, can be explained uh, by what the mold does in the brain, but also even just what it does to the adrenals, putting you in a fight or flight when you don't feel well. And then cortisol and progesterone convert to each other. So that can take the progesterone. And, and, and men, you see, no they have very low testosterone as well. And so it's very common to see the hormones completely out of balance. And I always tell my patients, like, we're going to strengthen the system enough to get you to be able to tolerate treatment and detoxification. And in the end, you might not need thyroid forever. But right now, when you've got none, it's going to be your system is going to be a lot stronger and be able to get better if we just feed it like what it's missing, like what it's depleted in. And then that, you know, the pregnancy part is so hard because you can't really do much. So anything you were to detox would go straight to the baby. Um, and same with uh, breastfeeding. So you never want to detox during pregnancy or during nursing. Um, so I've definitely had a few cases where, you know, I, I had a recent one that I just saw uh, yesterday, I think, and she um, had come to me after being like sick for a while and years. And then we, you know, got her diagnosis. We figured out it's mold. I start her on the detox protocol. And two weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, stop it all. Stop all of it. So you can have a little glutathione and we'll come back to me later. And she just like, she just came done breastfeeding and it's like, help, help get better. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a smart thing for women to think about before getting pregnant to detox, you know, mold or environmental toxins, heavy metals, anything that they can, because it does go straight to the placenta. Most toxins do. I don't know if you've ever seen those stats on the number of chemicals in the cord blood, the cord from mama to baby, thousands of different chemicals. It's, it's so distressing when you, when you see it. So any, any, Preconception detoxification that people can do. It's it's a world of good for your baby and yourself, but you can't do it during. Wow. That's wow. that's important for women to know. It is, and most don't. And I think it's it's sort of hard to convince a young woman that wants to get pregnant that she ought to wait a year and test herself <laughs> for every toxins and do this whole thing, you know. <laughs> but uh ideally that's what would happen. That's interesting. So Probably one of the biggest questions I would think if, if our, you know, the audience that, that listens to this podcast, they need to hear it from the doctor. A lot of them want to know, well, can I be treated remotely? Tell our listeners so they don't have to hear it just from me. So I can do it virtually, um, but I, so remotely being out of state. So um, I, I can't technically treat somebody in a state that I'm not licensed in. Right. Um, and so, clear. That's what I meant. Like, yeah, you can't, whereas I can do, I, I can, can though, if people are willing to fly in once a year, yep. um, there are, you know, if I see them in clinic and I get to do a physical and, and, and there's a little wiggle room there, but yeah. Yeah. Cause see, they look at, cause I can do it. I can consult and do a VPA, a virtual property assessment. I just listened to your uh, your podcast on the VPA yesterday. 
Oh, did you? Yeah, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> With, thanks to COVID, Cassandra's the one that told me. She's like, you know what? A lot of my clients, like I have clients and people I deal with in Kuwait and all across the, the globe. I think there's plenty of room for all of us. There's mold is so much. I, I think it's ignored intentionally. But anyhow, they say, I don't know, like the, the guy I hire, I don't trust or gal or whoever's doing it. And so the VPA, I was like, well, you know, it's not me on site and I'll come do VP, a VPA on site. It's just going to cost you a lot of money and I can do that. Whereas you can't, you know, you can't fly to, to Wyoming if you're not licensed or whatever state and do it, whereas I can. And so for my listeners, they look at it and they go, well, how come Steve can do remotely but Dr. Fox can't because that's what they want. And so you answered the question, like, if you'll fly in once a year, we can do that. Well, and do you, Dr. Fox, do you offer um, consulting or coaching? I know I coach around the globe and I have a coach who's not local to me. So are there opportunities to work with you that people who might not be in the state can take advantage of? There are, there are some ways. It's a little, you know, it's a little different. And I have to sort of be careful with what I say, but, you know, we can often figure something out with my partner here as well, Dr. Reedhead. Um, there's usually something we could figure out, but um, I am trying to put together a course so that if somebody wants to mold detox and they can't fly in and they can't afford to see me and all that, um, that they could buy the course and do it on their own. Perfect. Yeah, because yeah. most people don't realize the restrictions you have on the medical side, licensing and everything. We're, we're based out of, and you know, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, I actually looked up. They don't regulate our profession either. And I don't know. And, it's and crazy that, that we're not regulated. And to not get into the political side of it, I mean, there's pros and cons to that. But on the medical side, a lot of people just don't understand. You can't just, they can't just, you know, consult with you and say, hey, can you take me on as a patient? And that's, that's a lot of what my clients, they, they seem to think, I guess the best way for me to say it, they seem to think, because I can do it remotely, that you can. And until they hear it from the horse's mouth, they don't understand, like, well, <laughs> you can't, really. Well, and I would also think, Dr. Fox, that there may be a wait list to work with you. So, so even if people are willing to fly in, I'm assuming they can't just call and set an appointment for two weeks from now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm booked out for three or four months for, for a new patient. But sometimes, you know, if the patient's really desperate, I do meet and greets. So there is free 15 minutes just to see if it's a good match and something I can help them with. And um, and so sometimes if they're real sick and they can, you know, they can't get in for four months, I'll have I'll start them off on something in the, in the meet and greet, I'll have them start doing the right testing and maybe start them on, you know, it, there are certain things in the protocols that are pretty benign. Like we, when we were talking about binders, if, if somebody wanted to go buy activated charcoal, cause they thought they were being exposed, it's, it's pretty benign. You just have to make sure that two hours on both sides, you're not, you know, taking other meds and supplements and that you're not getting constipated. But yeah, I can often start them on a little something to get moving. And then my partner, Dr. Reed had, is a nurse practitioner and she does mold as well. And she usually has uh, openings sooner than I do. Another very common question I get, I've already done the research and looked what you guys do, but once again, so they can hear it from you is 
I'm assuming for the most part, their medical insurance doesn't cover any of the services. Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, we don't take insurance for, for my time. Um, we will use their insurance for everything we can. So like, I usually do a pretty big blood draw in the beginning. Like there's certain things that get depleted and mold. And like we were talking about before with that, I do all the hormones and I'll do, you know, basic nutrient panels and, and all of that, that gets billed directly to their insurance. Okay. And then some of the other specialty testing is contracted with insurance and they have to pay some portion, but okay. the, none of the mold tests are, right. are uh, covered. Cause that's, that's probably one of the most common things. It's interesting to say that some of the testing is covered because my clients, most of the time, they tell me that their insurance won't cover anything. That was, I probably yeah, should. No, we, we get covered whatever we need to. I mean, whatever we can, you know. Right. And I should mention too, when we were talking just about different mold testing, that when a patient can't get the IV provocation, I also really like Vibrant. I don't know if you've heard of that one. No. It's another mycotoxin urinary test. And that one doesn't need to be provoked. So when somebody can't do the provocation that I like, I have them do the Vibrant. Okay. Yes, I get, for the most part, I try to stay totally out of the medical side, obviously for legal reasons. The biggest misconception that I think I see in in my side of this, of the mold field, is someone thinks they can go get a test done and maybe they just did it on their own. And then they want to just send me the results and say, hey, Steve, what do you think? And I look at it and I go, okay, yeah, this can be from this. And this is from water damage, building materials, or when it comes to the mold testing, from the medical testing, we could say, yeah, that's from penicillium aspergillus. But I, my hands are, I shouldn't say they're tied, but I don't have enough information to even come up with any conclusions. And I guess my point is behind all that is, is when, when you're only doing one little test here and one little test there, because you say you can't afford it, it just, we there's not much I can do. I'm sure you're similar to that. Like, it boils down to you have to go see a doctor and on the building side, you have to hire a competent mold inspector. Competent. Yes. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot a of people that. out there that don't do a complete evaluation. And uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Dr. Fox, sometimes we, we get so much good information that we get analysis paralysis and people will hear this episode and they'll say, Oh my goodness colonizing, Lyme's disease is parasitic. They'll, they'll just, you know, they'll get stuck because they don't know what to do next. If somebody is, is listening or watching this and you were to give them a piece of advice about maybe they suspect it is mold, what is one powerful next step they could take? What would you recommend? So if they're not in Colorado, I would just say, go ahead and do a urinary uh, vibrant mycotoxin if you're suspecting that your illness is from mold vibrant is the yeah. is the company yeah um, I will put um, before uh, we post this I will put a link to vibrant just for our listeners so you know in the description yeah sure and I like I said I love the real time labs the best but it does need a decent provocation or they might miss it absolutely so that would be their next <clears throat> step now I would say because then once they know it's mold they've got their diagnosis. Then they got to figure out if it's their house. They got to find a doc that can help them. And they kind of know what their, you know, what the, you know, core or root cause is of what's going on for them. Absolutely. And so now 
Um, if they're in Colorado, what would you recommend? Then I'd have them come in and get the IV provocation, the real-time lab ones. Yeah. Okay. And they can reach you at boulderholistic.com at your yeah. website. They can, you know, I, I went through it, looked at everything. They can book everything or not book, but they can uh, sign up online. They can call you guys. I'm assuming yeah. they yeah. have ways that they can in Colorado. And even if they're not in Colorado. Oh, they, they can, can still reach out. Yeah. It's, so, it's, and it's yeah. info at boulderholistic.com is the email. And are there social media outlets where people can get and stay connected with you? Um, so we have a pretty big um, newsletter. We, we send out a lot of uh, emails, campaign emails, just informing people um, and uh, blogs every you know, week or two. And so there's a lot of information you can get just being on our newsletter. And then um, we have some Instagram and some Facebook. I wouldn't say we're fully focused on that yet. You know, we, we right. do a bit of it. <laughs> it's in the newsletter that they can just go to your website and they can sign up for your sign newsletter. up. Yeah. And, and, and will the newsletter be via the email sign up where they'll be the first to hear about your course once it's ready? Um, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. That'll be announced. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing the work that you guys are doing. It's so important. And it's the whole other side of what I can't do that needs to be done. And like we said, not everybody's good at it. And I'm so grateful that you're out there and you're educating people and you're educating them about how to keep their, you know, the house from even getting mold and water damage. So thanks for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Fox. We appreciate you being on the Toxic Mold Podcast, Dr. Fox. You were very informative for all of our listeners. And thank you, Cassandra, for being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Toxic Mold Podcast. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you go to our website at cnccontractorservices.com and sign up for the mold investigation checklist. Again, go to cnccontractorservices.com and get your free mold investigation checklist today. You can also on cnccontractorservices.com find out more about Steve's courses and books and consultations. Once again, go to cnccontractorservices.com.